What a beautiful start to this morning. I hope you've been blessed already. Uh, was just in worship led by our team, uh, whether it's uh, Hark the Herald Angels Sing or, or whether it's Same God. I want to encourage you to bookmark those songs because there's some powerful truth in those songs, uh, something that we can continue to meditate on in the week ahead. Also, what a marvelous job. I don't know who it was, but all the team that decorated the stage, getting you in the Christmas spirit, right? Yeah. So thank you, Josh, and the team that did that. We, uh, we're, we're, we love it. It's, uh, at the same time, it's like, wow, can't believe it's December, right? December 2023. Uh, can't believe it's already here, but, but it is. And, uh, and in the traditional church calendar, Christians around the world are practicing Advent, which you also saw here earlier with the lighting of the two candles and the reading by the Southwell family. Um, what is Advent? You know, it's one of those things that I didn't personally grow up knowing much about it. Some people from different traditions and Christianity, you know, have grown up with it all their lives. It's something that my wife and I discovered more when our kids were little and began to use it uh, during the Christmas season for family devotions, and it was just really powerful. And so I want to encourage you to, whether you've done it before, or maybe to restart that tradition in your own personal life, but there are some great Advent devotionals out there that you could do as you look from now to Christmas counting down to the celebration of Jesus, our Savior. Um, but, but ultimately, what it boils down to, Advent is about hoping and waiting. All right? It's not just about hoping, it's, it's about, and it's not just about waiting. It's a combination of those two. And I want to unpack that for us a little bit today, what it means to, to be a people of Advent, to be people that are hopeful and waiting in expectation. Uh, maybe just to, to begin kind of a word picture or an image of what that may look like is picture a sports fan, maybe picture yourself if you'd like, or something you've seen on TV, waiting for that last second play. You know, your team has the ball, the game is tied, there's one play left, and the hope-filled the, the, the hope expectation that fan has for the next play that's going to define the outcome, Right? That's that sense of hopeful, waiting expectation. Or picture a new father pacing in a waiting area while his wife prepares to give birth to their child. I know nowadays we often have both parents in the room, but sometimes fathers can't stand blood, right, or something like that, so they might step outside. But there's that sense of hopeful expectation and anticipation that's coming, uh, the, the coming of a new child. Or maybe a couple counting down the days, an engaged couple with hope-filled anticipation as they prepare for their wedding day. So Advent is this waiting and watching and hoping. And, and where do we get this from? That's what we're gonna look at here in just a moment. Because this, this hope-filled waiting uh, seems to be part of the job description, if you would, of what it means to be children of God. It's just, it's just in the story of children of God. If you go back in the Bible, dozens of stories in the Old and New Testament highlight people who are hopefully waiting with expectation. You have Abraham who was promised the son uh, that through whom he would have a, a family and eventually a nation who has to wait years and years for that promise. You have Moses who's told we're going to enter the promised land and they spend 40 years in the wilderness. Moses himself never gets to go in, but the people are waiting and hoping. You have David being told that, and anointed that he's to be king of Israel, but then having to wait for God's time for that to happen. You have Israel themselves after they've gone in captivity and, and separated from each other and separated uh, among the nations. They're waiting for their promised deliverance. And then the New Testament, you have Jesus telling us a story of the, the parable of the virgins who have the candles lit 
and they're waiting for the groom. And then when you see the first disciples waiting in that upper room for the Holy Spirit to come and transform their lives. And then throughout the New Testament pages, you see the early church waiting in expectation for the return of Jesus. Do you see how to be children of God, to be part of God's family, hoping and waiting just comes part with the process. It's just part of who we are as God's people. And, and I think one of the reasons is because God is a God of new beginnings. I believe that the, the outcome of hoping plus waiting when you do it within the life of God is that the result is a new beginning. Hoping and waiting results in a new beginning. I, I believe we see that in scripture again where God delights to do a new thing. He tells Isaiah 43, behold, I am doing a new thing. Do not dwell on the past, but look forward to what I am doing. Can you now perceive it? New beginnings are what can happen as a result of hoping and waiting, as we're gonna see in just a moment here in the life of Jesus as well. But you know, when that new beginning comes, it could be either very obvious or maybe kind of subtle. There, there's some starkly significant new beginnings that you never forget. I thought about that this week when we saw, we began to see images of the hostages that were being released in Gaza a little bit at a time. I mean, think about that situation where they were hostage. Some of them probably thought they were, they were gonna die in, in, in that captivity. And yet here they are coming out to new hope, to a new beginning, to a second chance at life. Some new beginnings are, are stark and significant or even like a wedding, like I mentioned earlier, for the, when the, for the first time you're introduced as Mr. and Mrs. Chan or Mr. and Mrs. whatever your last name is. You remember that time because it's such a stark new beginning. Other times could be less noticeable, but still meaningful. I, I thought about when, you know, when the sun rises every morning, Lamentations 3.23 tells us that his mercies are new every morning. Great is God's faithfulness. I think all of this shows us that God delights in creating new beginnings. God delights in doing new things. And for us as people of God, as children of God, we not only have the, the, the job of hoping and waiting, but we have the promise that for the believer, the best is yet to come. I hope that can become part of, of, of your mantra or your sayings that, that for the believer, the best is yet to come because I firmly believe that. And I believe it's something that we as Christians are invited to, uh, to wrap our hope around. And we're gonna look at that as we reflect on the coming of Jesus and the new beginning that Jesus offers us in his coming. But I say all this because Calvary, as a church, we're in a season of new beginnings. Uh, people have asked me, hey, how are you doing being the interim lead pastor? And I've thought about recently that the main part of my job description right now is managing transition. We've had so many different staff transitions. We're still going through the middle of that. And, and it's been fun and challenging at the same time. But part of what's exciting about that, about all this transition that we're having, is that it's an exciting time to ask the question, God, what new thing do you want to do? What new beginning do you want to bring about in our lives? And I ask that question not only for us as a church, but I ask that question for you. I think Advent is a great time to say, Lord, what new beginning, what new thing do you want to do in my life? So I hope you'll meditate and reflect on that as we look at our passage today. Uh, new beginnings is what this Advent season is about. And so I wanna encourage you and challenge you to ask the question, what, what new beginning are you waiting for or are you hoping for? So as we read scripture today, I'd like to invite you to stand and we're gonna read from Matthew chapter one, verses 18 through 25. And we stand just to remind ourselves that we're reading God's word and asking him to speak to us through it today. 
So we have the contemporary English version, and this is how it reads. This is how Jesus Christ was born. A young woman named Mary was engaged to Joseph from King David's family. But before they were married, she learned that she was going to have a baby by God's Holy Spirit. Joseph was a good man and did not want to embarrass Mary in front of everyone. So he decided to quietly call off the wedding. While Joseph was thinking about this, an angel from the Lord appeared to him in a dream. The angel said, Joseph, the baby that Mary will have is from the Holy Spirit. Go ahead and marry her. Then after her baby is born, name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. So the Lord's promise came true just as the prophet had said. A virgin will have a baby boy and he will be called Emmanuel, which means God is with us. After Joseph woke up, he and Mary were soon married, just as the Lord's angel had told him to do. But they did not sleep together before her baby was born. Then Joseph named him Jesus. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Thank you. When you think of new beginnings, what do you think about? Uh, there have been many significant new beginnings in history. Just looking in the history of our own country, founding of America, 1776, Remarkable start to what was an experiment at the time of a new republic that still continues to impact history and the world in many ways today. Then we have the emancipation of slavery in the 1860s, a big breakthrough in, in relations here in the United States. That was a new beginning. Then we had space exploration in the 1960s. Some of you are young enough to remember that maybe as you began to hear stories of, of us sending rockets and then sending people up into the moon and how, how it began to expand our imagination about what was possible in our lifetime. Then we've had all the technological revolutions, all the, the media revolutions that we've had with the explosion of knowledge and how-to and technology in the, in the past 20 plus years. And along with the explosion of knowledge comes constant medical breakthroughs. We're constantly learning how to do new things that help extend people's life or quality of life. So new beginnings are, are all around us really when you stop and take a look. But we focus every Christmas or every year on Advent as a new beginning, as a countdown to Christmas. And I'd like to invite you to really focus on Advent this year as a countdown to Christmas because of this. Because I believe that the birth of Jesus is the most remarkable new beginning event in human history. And if you believe that, then you, you, will, you will focus on that and you, will, and you will ask the question, well, what does that mean for me today? I believe the birth of Jesus is the most remarkable new beginning event in human history, and I'll give you three reasons why this morning from our text. The first we'll find in verse 21 is because God promised it. As it says in Matthew 1.21, it says that she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now, think about the situation, all right? Put yourself in Joseph's shoes. Right? It's, it's, it's probably easy enough for us to relate to Joseph in kind of the sense of panic that he got when he realized that Mary was pregnant and yet they had not been together yet. They were pledged to be married, they were engaged, but he had not taken her yet as his wife to, to live under the same roof and to, and to have marital relations. So, so here he's having to wonder what's going on, right? How can Mary be pregnant? And and the, and the angel of God appears to him and, and seeks to comfort him. And I love that, right? I love how God speaks into our more, our, our, our kind of chaos moments, right? Our, our challenging moments when the questions are like, whoa, what's going on? He's perplexed. And God comforts him and speaks to him through an angel. And we can relate to Joseph with the kind of complexity of the situation, I think. 
This is a very strange situation indeed, and how do I respond to it? But maybe one of the parts of this verse that's harder for us to relate to with Joseph is what the angel says, that she's going to give birth to a son, and you're going to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. We kind of read that over as part of our Christmas story narrative, but that statement was a profound, powerful statement that when Joseph heard it, it, it makes sense that that's why he was able to carry through with it, all right? Because what is it that the angel is really telling him? He's going to save his people from their sins. You're going to give him the name Jesus. The name Jesus was the Greek pronunciation of the Hebrew name Joshua. And the Hebrew name Joshua means the Lord saves. But now when Joseph would hear this, he would know from the angel that he's talking about the Messiah, the promised Savior, that for centuries, for hundreds of years before, the nation of Israel, the people of God had been waiting for They've been waiting for this promised savior. And so Joseph hears, not the angel just simply say, hey, I have a suggestion for a baby name for you. You know, any of you go through that process when you had your first child and maybe you have grandparents saying, hey, how about naming them after, you know, one of us? Or, you know, you have a, a nosy neighbor or a friendly neighbor who says, hey, you know, how about this name or that name? You know, everybody might have name suggestions. This isn't the angel just saying to Joseph, hey, by the way, I've got a name suggestion for you. What do you think about Jesus, right? This is the angel telling Joseph, look, this is something that, it's a strange situation, I know, but it's the Holy Spirit that's doing this. Go forward in confidence because what's happening here is you're going to name him Jesus because he's the one who we've been waiting for and he's the one who will save his people from their sins. This is something that God has promised throughout generations, even all the way back to the beginning of history. That's why I think this is such a weighty truth, a significant truth. At the beginning of the Bible, in Genesis 3, 15, God says that, that there would be conflict between the serpent and the woman, right? And the serpent represented Satan, and the woman represented humanity. And he says that the, the serpent would constantly be attacking the heel of the woman, but that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. What's going on in that passage in Genesis 3? At the time that sin, death, and evil enter into our world, realities that we face and struggle with today, at that very moment, God makes a promise to defeat them, to defeat sin, death, and evil. From the very beginning of time, from the very beginning of our Bibles, God is making a promise that he's going to send a deliverer, a savior, to defeat sin and death and evil. And the twist in the plot is that it's going to come from the seed of a woman. Now, normally, biologically, the seed comes from a man. So it's a very intriguing statement we have in Genesis that it would be from the seed of a woman. And obviously, now we see the fulfillment of that in the virgin birth of Jesus. So this is something that has been promised since the beginning of time. They've waited for it for generations. And I think that's one of the reasons why the birth of Jesus is the most significant new beginning in human history. It's, it's the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy and the beginning of the new. And that's the second point, that Jesus's birth was foretold by prophets for centuries and many times and in many different ways. Matthew himself in this gospel, he quotes more Old Testament prophets than any of the other gospel writers. All four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all, they all appeal back to the Old Testament to help people understand who Jesus was. But Matthew uses many more prophecies than anybody else. And at least 20 times he says, this was, or this happened to fulfill what was spoken of by the prophets. He's constantly pointing back to the events in Jesus's life to, oh, this was what this prophet said. And this is what that prophet said. 
At least 20 times in his gospel, he's pointing back to the Old Testament prophets. And the most common prophet that he quotes is Isaiah. And that's what we see here in this passage in just a moment. Matthew is, is bridging the Old Testament and the New to make the story one seamless story. In Matthew 7, 14, I mean, in Matthew 1, 22 and 23, he quotes Isaiah 7, 14, where it says, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Now, this was spoken of by Isaiah hundreds of years before, but let me give you some context. Isaiah is speaking at that time to the king, King Ahaz, and there's conflict. There's, there's conflict brewing. The, the northern part of Israel has already been taken captive. They're gone. They're away from God's plan and purpose. Judah remains kind of sort of loyal to God, but not really. And King Ahaz was not necessarily one of the best kings that they had. And yet there's a sign that God gives them that he's still at work and he's still going to fulfill his promises to his people. And Isaiah tells him that the sign is that a virgin will give birth to a son. And so, so what we see here is that we see that Isaiah's prophecy, like many Old Testament prophecies, have two fulfillments, all right? They have a near fulfillment, which means something that was going to happen in the near future, and it has a far fulfillment, something that's going to happen way down the road. Now, this reminded me of an episode of Sesame Street. I don't still watch it, you know, but it's been a long time. Uh, but Sesame Street, Grover, the character, tries to teach kids near and far. Have ever, ever, any of you seen this, right? He, he's up close to the camera. He says, okay, kids, this is near. I can't do his voice, but okay, kids, this is near. And then he runs to the back and he says, this is far. And he runs to the front. This is near. He runs to the back this far. He says, do you get it? Do you understand? And the imaginary kid uh, apparently says, no, I don't get it. So he says, okay, I gotta do it again. So he keeps running back and forth, near, far, near, far, till he drops dead, exhausted, right? That has nothing to do with this sermon other than it just reminds us that prophecies often had a near fulfillment and a far one. And then King Ahaz's day and Isaiah's day when he was alive, it was a promise that, that the line of David would continue, that God would keep his promise to his people. A lot of scholars believe that the, 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 the term uh, a virgin will give birth to a child could also mean young woman, so it could have been someone who was a virgin at the time, and they think it could have been Isaiah's daughter-in-law, possibly, who in Isaiah chapter 8, they, they, they have a reference to his son and, and daughter-in-law and them having a child. So it's possible that it just simply meant young woman in the days of Isaiah. But what Matthew does, Matthew takes the Greek word parthenos, which means only virgin. It doesn't mean young woman. It means literally virgin. And so Matthew uses that word to be very specific about this far fulfillment several years, several hundred years later, where the miraculous conception of Jesus uh, would come according to Isaiah's prophecy in 7:14. And often the far prophecy, the far fulfillment, was usually the greater one, which in this case, of course, it is with the miraculous virgin birth. So we see a couple of things, right? We see that, that the birth of Jesus is significant because God has promised it from the very beginning that he would come to defeat sin, death, and evil. And also because the prophets foretold it and assured us and reminded us of it. And the third reason we see is that the New Testament characters experienced it. They witnessed it. They lived it. And as they experienced it, it dramatically changed their lives. And it changed the course of history. I mean, quite literally, right? History is divided between 
BC and AD. I know now, nowadays, you know, people sometimes think of BC as before COVID and AC as after COVID. Uh, and that may be true for some extent, but the true division marker in history is BC before Christ and AD, which means Anno Domini in the year of our Lord or after Christ. That's the true impact that Jesus has made in this world where history had a whole new beginning because of his coming. And why? It's because of this word in Matthew 1, verse 23, that says, you will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. For the first time in history, God was going to be present on the earth, face to face with humanity in a way that was never experienced before. And we continue to live in that closeness with God because his Holy Spirit has been given to us to live in communion with Emmanuel, God with us. And, but notice here, who was at the center of this new beginning? Who were the key characters in this new beginning? It wasn't some royal family. It wasn't some famous influencer. It was a guy named Joseph and a girl named Mary. Very ordinary names, very unextraordinary people. They didn't have any important titles, any important roles. They were from the line of David, but so were millions of others, right? They were unexpected participants in God's story. And that's what I love about this story, that God delights to do new beginnings and he invites ordinary people like you, like me, and says, do you want to be part of this new beginning? I want to do something new in and through you. It'll dramatically change you and perhaps even have a dramatic impact on the world as it did through Mary and Joseph. Imagine Joseph's courage, right, to say, okay, we're going to go through with this. This is a strange situation. It might bring me some shame and some mockery. But he had that confidence to know that God was doing a new beginning and he was going to save his people from their sins through Jesus. What new beginning might God want to do in your life in the days ahead? To me, that's a, that's a, that's a reflection of Advent. Advent is that countdown to Christmas, Christmas when we remember that Jesus was born, that new beginning that started in Christ. And that new beginning that results in a new relationship that we can have with God. That new beginning that makes everything possible. That new beginning that, that gives me confidence that the best is yet to come. And yet I think God wants us to personalize our thoughts when, we, when it comes to, to our relationship with him. What new beginning might God want to do in your life? What new beginning do you need him to do in your life? I think about the story in Mark 10 where there was a blind man and he'd been blind all of his life and he hears about Jesus walking on the road and he starts calling out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And he keeps calling out. He's like, I think I, I heard it's Jesus. I heard he's powerful. I, I need a miracle. And the disciples and other people tell him, hey, hush, he's too important. He's too busy. He, he's doing God stuff, right? He doesn't need you to bother him. And he says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He calls out all the more. And Jesus turns to him and comes to him, and, and what does Jesus ask him? What does Jesus say? He says, what do you want me to do for you? Now, I can imagine his disciples who weren't quite, in, you know, quite clued into everything, they're probably saying, hey, Captain Obvious, he's blind. So, you know, what, what do you think he needs? But Jesus doesn't just assume what he needs because he's blind. He says, what do you want me to do for you? Very interesting question, right? And I think that's the question that God asks us. Our need might be obvious, but sometimes God wants us to identify what is it that we truly need and then to bring it to him and say, would you 
bring a new beginning into my life. Obviously, the man replies, Lord, I want to see, and Jesus heals him. But there's something about asking God for the new beginning that we're asking him to bring into our lives. What if he's inviting you to identify your greatest need for a new beginning and to ask him for it? So I'd like to invite you to reflect for a moment on that thought. Consider, can you identify what new beginning you need in your life? Maybe, maybe it's a new discipline that you need in your life, a spiritual discipline or, or just a good discipline. Maybe it's a better habit in your life. You know, New Year's is coming, and a lot of times people make New Year's resolutions, and, and sometimes we, you know, we, we play with that and we, we make fun of that, but, but could it be that you have an opportunity in the new year to really see a new beginning in some aspect of your life? What about a deeper walk with God? I know God wants that for you and I if we don't have it right now. What about a new beginning to a relationship that has been broken or cold or has just gone bad? What is it that God wants to do? What new beginning? Maybe it's a new job. Maybe it's a new season in your life. But whatever it is, if you know that God wants to bring a new beginning into your life, how do you prepare for it? I invite you during this Advent season to, to prepare your hearts. Like that, like that old Christmas carol says, let every heart prepare him room. What are you going to do to make space in your life, to make preparations in your life for this new beginning? In conclusion, I just want to share with you uh, something I heard from one of our deacons, Marno, and his wife, Annie Sienis. Uh, they were faithfully visiting one of our, our, our senior saints, Sally Pearson, who was in hospice. Her health kept deteriorating. The doctors couldn't do any more for her. And so Marno and Annie were visiting her on a regular basis every week. And every time they would tell me, hey, how's, how's she doing? What's going on? He'd say, well, we read some scripture. We sang a song. And he said, but you know, the thing she always tells us is, I'm prepared. I'm prepared. She was prepared to, to meet her Lord. She's prepared to go into the, the next life, the afterlife. She was at peace with her life and in her heart. And it struck me that this is true for us, that for the believer, even death is a new beginning. For the believer, even death is a new beginning. The thing that we might fear the most as human beings is, is a potential new beginning for us if we are in Christ Jesus and followers of him. So if that's possible, if even death can be a new beginning, what else can God do in our lives? What else could we have the courage to do and to dream and to be a part of in our lives? What new beginning do you need God to do in your life in 2024? Would you pray with me? God, I thank you that uh, Advent reminds us that we are a people of, of waiting, but we wait with hope. We wait with expectation because you promise certain things and then you fulfill them like you did in Jesus being born 2,000 years ago. And thank you that because of Jesus, we can have a new relationship with you. We can have a fresh start with one another because of forgiveness and grace. Lord, thank you that you have done the work of new beginnings. And Lord, I, I, I know that we all need a fresh touch. We all need you to do new things in our lives. So help us to identify what is our greatest need and what can we invite you into and what can we prepare ourselves for so that you could do a new work in our lives. God, thank you. Thank you for being such a loving God, such a faithful God. As we sang, you're the same God who, who created new beginnings for David and Moses and all these characters in the Old Testament. 
and you invite us into that same thing today. So help us to respond to that, Lord. Help us to believe that you want to work through us, ordinary men and women, and that you invite us into a deeper walk with you. I'd like to invite you all to stand, and as we sing this song, just take a moment to reflect, to respond. What is it that, what new beginning do you need? What might God want to do in your life? If you'd like to come to the front and pray and share with someone, we'll have members from our prayer team here at the front who are willing to listen to you and pray with you. I'd like to invite you to respond no matter what, whether they're here, do it now.